0: And so go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2nd Chronicles chapter 7. There's a very well-known verse in tonight's chapter that people quote a lot. And we will be looking at that as well as the rest of the chapter. So go ahead and turn your Bibles there, grab the outline. Let's open with a word of prayer. And let's dig in. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, we thank you for your word, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. And by the way, we're going to be meeting in here on Thursday nights every week until it gets warm again, okay? So however long that takes, we're meeting in here. So just know you don't have to bring your parka and your warmers and all that other stuff to come to church. All right. All right, so Chronicles, as we know, was first uh, and second Chronicles were both written to the children of Israel who had been in bondage in Babylon for seventy years, and now they're returning to Jerusalem, back to Israel, and specifically to Jerusalem. And many of them had never been there before. They were born during the Babylonian captivity, so as they are coming back, first and second Chronicles are like a history lesson for them. So they were understand what happened in Israel before they were born and what what to expect as they were going back into the land of promise. We know that first Chronicles focus on King David, second Chronicles, Solomon. We know that the the beginning of Chronicles we have been looking at uh, mainly in second Chronicles, the rebuilding of the temple. And that's been the focus, all the early chapters. First off, gathering all the materials and gathering all the craftsmen and then building the temple. And then we saw last week the beginning of the dedication of the temple. So the temple was finally built. All the furnishings are in place. Uh, God's the focal point again back in Jerusalem. And this is, again, preparing the people coming back from Babylon who are going to, when they come back, the the temple's gone. But they need to understand the significance of it. And the rebuilding of it in the future. So if you have your outline, grab it and tell them my message. If my people who were called by my name and there, there's that very well known verse. First Chronicles 7, 14, we'll get there tonight. And I've got four points in just that heart of having intimate fellowship with God. And I would think one of the main words of this entire chapter is the word humility, right? He talks about humbling ourselves repeatedly in in different ways. And, you know, it's hard for, we cannot really have intimate fellowship with God if we're prideful. You just can't. God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. And if we're prideful or we're resting on our our own ability or focus on on who we are instead of who God is, if we're putting ourselves as the more important part of that equation, we're never really going to fully grasp all that God has for us. Well, we won't be very usable for the kingdom of God, And we're going to have a lot of heartache in our lives. So I titled the message again, If My People Call By My Name. Point number one, we're going to look at the glory of the Lord. Have you ever wished that when you prayed, that God would just like open up the heavens and just pour out the answer immediately? Well, that actually happens in tonight's text. It's pretty awesome that Solomon prays, and then God makes it really clear, like immediately that he heard him. And he answers him, and he does it by bringing fire down from heaven. Is there any, that's the best amen ever. Can I get an amen to that? Can you imagine you're praying in Jesus' name, amen. Right? That would be be so awesome. Well, that happens in tonight's text, that God does answer prayer. And again, we're going to see the glory of the Lord as fire comes from heaven. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. The power is only in the presence of God. See, the temple is only significant because God is there. See, it's not because, even though it's the most beautiful building on the planet at that time, and it's, and it's just so richly built, and all the furnishings all point to Jesus, but if the furniture's there, and Almighty God's presence isn't, it's really, not that, it's really not worth much. Amen? Have you guys ever been to foreign countries, especially, or even the United States, and you've gone into churches that they don't use anymore, and they just kind of become big museums? You walk into a building, and it's all beautiful and ornate, and it's got paintings on the wall, and it's deader than a doornail because what is it? It's a beautiful building without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the reasons why the temple, what makes it significance is God's presence was there. And that's what makes it significant. And so we see the glory of the Lord in tonight's text. Number two, we're going to see the praise and sacrifice go together. It's been said they're two sides of the same coin. You know, if we're going to praise God, there's going to be need to be sacrifice involved, and the sacrifice in the old covenant, of course, were the the blood of bulls and goats and the sacrifices that they brought before Almighty God as acts of obedience. Again, all that was pointing to the cross of Calvary. But both of those things needed to go hand in hand. It's not enough to believe in the cross but not have any praise for God and any relationship with God. And it's not enough to praise God apart from the cross. Amen. And in the old covenant, you needed both of those things. We'll see that in tonight's text. You both need, They both uh, needed to show the depths of the heart of worship and thanksgiving for all the Lord has done for us. There's both sacrifice and praise. We're going to talk about the difference between burnt offerings and peace offerings and the fact that praise and sacrifice lead to joy. And thirdly, we're going to see that God answers prayers, but only of those who know him. And this can be controversial, but it shouldn't be. But for some people, it is. How many of you guys saw kind of that tragic event on on Monday Night Football this week, or at least heard about it, okay? There's a young man, 24 years old. He gets into a collision. He collapses. They're doing CPR on him. They don't know if he's even going to survive to get off the football field. And that hasn't happened in the NFL, I don't know, maybe in my lifetime. I don't remember it happening. But, And then what happens is it was so tragic. They just stopped the game. And I've never seen more people talking about praying. I was watching ESPN, and they stopped everything, and a guy who's a Christian led everybody in prayer on ESPN. And people are praying all over the place, and praise God for that. Amen? But just because a lot of people are praying doesn't mean God's hearing them all. Because without the Holy Spirit living inside, if you are not born again... See, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you cannot come to the Father apart from the Son. And if you don't know the Son, God the Father does not hear your prayers. Amen? Amen? Now, I'll hear a prayer of repentance, and it's not because he's unable to hear them, but he chooses not to allow people into his presence, again, if they don't come through the Son. You cannot come to the Father apart from the Son. That's why Joseph Smith doesn't work. That's That's why, you know, you can't come through Muhammad. You can't come any other way. Jesus is the only way to heaven, and God answers only the prayers of those who know him. So he hears our prayers every single time. That's why it's important, too. I want to say this. We'll we'll tell people, well, you should pray. Well, you should pray if you know Jesus. Amen? Because otherwise, you're just yelling down a well. You might as well go outside and scream down a well. Because if we don't have a relationship with the Lord, He does not hear our prayers. Sometimes we're going to see in tonight's text that God uses difficult times to bring us back to Him. You know, sometimes what will happen is we can get lukewarm in our walk or we can just kind of be on the status quo and our our walk with the Lord is kind of in the same place. We're not really growing. And sometimes God will allow difficulty in our lives to draw us back into himself. We're also going to see to humble ourselves, pray to seek his face and to turn from our sins. These are things that we will see in the prayer example of chapter of verse 14. And then, True repentance requires more than just words, it requires action. Then finally, God's warning to remain faithful to his word. Solomon is going to have a great deal of success. Solomon is the wisest man on the planet. Solomon is halfway through, at the end of this chapter, he's halfway through his 40 years of reigning. He's 20 years in already. And what's going to happen is, because he builds the temple, because... The hand of God has been blessing him, he's going to start to become complacent. And at the end of the chapter, God's going to give a warning to Solomon. And it's a warning for all of us that we need to hear that just because God is blessing us and just because we're doing well in our relationship with him, we must never cease to strive to walk in faithful obedience to his word. We must never allow ourselves to think that we've arrived. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. None of us, all of us need to grow more spiritually than where we are right now. Amen. And so we're going to see this warning to Solomon. And sadly, is Solomon going to heed this warning? What's the answer? Solomon is going to crash and burn all over the highway. He's going to go from a man being used mightily by God to a man who is remembered for the tragedy of his generation behind him not allowed to, to rule and reign over all of Israel. They're, they're brought down to just Judah. And shortly after that, guess what happens? Completely gone. He, they're they're, back and back, they're get taken off into captivity in Babylon, and they're worshiping false idols. So let's begin there. If my people who are called by my name, let's begin by looking at the glory of the Lord. Again, the dedication of the temple has been taking place. He's continuing to make that dedication. All the people of Israel have gathered together from the far corners. They've come into Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is when they're looking back to God's provision for them when they were wandering in the wilderness. And so they're looking back at when God, you know, when they're wandering in the wilderness, they're they're remembering that. And now in the midst of that, God is going to show them, The future, in a sense, right? That they have something to bless him for in the here and now. So look at verse 1 there. It says, when Solomon had finished praying. So if you go to the previous chapter, from verses 12 to 42 of chapter 6, is Solomon praying. And he's praying to dedicate the temple... The temple's been finished. He was faithful to do the work God had called him to do. It was now the focal point of all of Jerusalem. It was now something worthy of the Lord in a sense right? Because before he had been in a tent, David had lived in a palace. His heart was grieved that God was living in a tent in a sense. And so now the temple that David's heart was to build, and Solomon's been faithful to build it, and God has brought the craftsmen. It's wonderful, and it's going to be a place of sacrifice where God's going to be glorified, and it's been dedicated. Let's just go back and read from verse 40 to 42 for a little context. He says, now my God, I pray, Let your eyes be open. Let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed to salvation. Let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn your face away from your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. And when Solomon had finished praying, so he's been praying this prayer, 42 verses of it, He's dedicating the temple. He's standing out in a place, as we saw last week, on a, a bronze you know, pedestal, if you will. And he's preaching, and literally there's people as far as the eyes can see. The people of Israel have gathered from a faraway place. There they all are. And he's been praying boldly in front of all of them. And then it says this, when Solomon finished the prayer, fire came down from heaven. Now, again, not only do we see God answering prayer, but we see it being done in a very powerful and real way. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The act of God accepting a sacrifice by consuming the offering with fire from heaven was not something that happened every day, but it did happen four times in Scripture. Four times we see fire coming down. And often, remember, in Scripture, fire often represents God's presence. Amen? When they were wandering through the wilderness. Remember, there's a pillar of cloud and a pillar of a fire. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, there are tongues of fire. Amen? So fire often represents the presence of God. But other places where we see it in 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 the Bible... It's first of all, we saw it with Moses in the tabernacle, it says in Leviticus nine, and there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar, the burnt offering and the fat, which all the people saw and they shouted and fell on their faces. You know, whenever you see the presence of God show up, you know, that mentality that when, when I see God, I got questions for him. And when I see God, I'm going to tell him you're not. No, you're not. Because every time you see the presence of God, what do people do? They fall on their faces. When angels show up, people fall on their faces. It's the presence of God and the angelic host that drives people to their knees. So not only Moses in a tabernacle, but when David sinned by counting the people and he offered a sacrifice at Mount Moriah, it says in 1 Chronicles, and David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings that called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. So each of these times, these no doubt would be things that that you would never forget. If you were there to witness fire coming down from heaven, and keep in mind that all of Israel is gathered there. And here they are dedicating the temple, and they're all going to see this fire come from heaven. And I promise you, nobody went home and forgot about that ever. It was something they remember for the rest of their lives. If it was a concert, they'd get that ticket and, you know, put it on the wall, right? Kept my tickets to the best concert ever, fire from heaven, amen? And so, but what's amazing about this is they're never going to forget it, you would think, but we're not very far away from some of these very same people starting to worship false gods starting to worship idols made out of wood and stone that were carved by other people. It's amazing to me. And and that's the thing that we need to not lose sight of, because sometimes we'll go and spend time at a retreat, or we just have intimate time with the Lord. And we're so close to God, we can hardly stand it. How many ever felt that way before? You're such intimate fellowship with God. You just don't want to leave. You're so close to him. But you know what happens? You can look up and days and weeks go by and maybe works crazy or things are going on in life. And you look up and you realize you're not as close to God as you were in that moment. So God calls fire down from the sky. There's another time that's very well known, obviously, here with Solomon. But then also, remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal? Guys, remember that? It's in 1 Kings. And it came to pass the time of the evening offering and sacrifice. Elijah the prophet came near, and he said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art the God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and I have done things at thy word. Hear hear me, O Lord. Hear me, and this people may know that you are the Lord thy God. If thou hast turned their heart back again, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. So multiple times in Scripture, we see God answering prayer by bringing fire. Now we see some guys calling down fire when God says no. Amen. Because they're not acting according to his will or according to his word. So... Solomon is praying and he doesn't have to doubt whether or not God answers this prayer because it shows up immediately. The fire coming down from heaven is letting him know because he had prayed that, Lord, we want your presence to be here. Lord, we want you to rule and reign here. And the Lord's making it very clear that's exactly what he's going to do by bringing fire down from heaven, God sending down fire consumes the offering and the sacrifice was a dramatic and visible proof of God's approval. What an incredible amen as I said before to Solomon's prayer. Then notice what it says there and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. You know what's amazing about this is the power of the temple was not, again, its beautiful architecture or its gold furnishings or its ornate tapestries on the inside, not even the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is only Holy of Holies because the Holy One is there. Amen? And he's the reason that it's holy. It's only because of his presence. It doesn't matter how beautiful the building is. It doesn't matter how ornate things are. It doesn't matter how it looks from the outside. All that's irrelevant if the Lord is not there. Don't lose this clear connection. See, in those days, the temple was where the Holy Spirit dwelt. But now today we are the temple and we are where the Holy Spirit dwells. Amen? Amen. And so if the Holy Spirit is not here, it doesn't matter how good you look on the outside. It doesn't matter how many good works you do. It doesn't matter how popular you are before men. If the Holy Spirit is not living inside of here, you are spiritually dead. You don't know God and you're headed to an eternity separated from him. Amen. Amen. Guys, the, the, his presence is all that really matters. He is the down payment on heaven, says in Ephesians chapter one. He is is the, the, the promissory note that we're going to heaven because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So see, everything in the old covenant was always pointing to Jesus and was always pointing to the new covenant and what God would do. See, the Holy Spirit being there, the presence of Almighty God is what mattered. It was that fire that showed that he was there. Again, the power was in the presence of God. His glory filled the temple and it remained there until the Babylonian captivity. You know when the, when the presence of God leaves? The presence of God leaves when Solomon starts marrying all these women. He starts bringing them all in. They all bring their idols with them, and he starts setting up uh, you know, high places for worship to all these false gods. Now, I just want to bang my head against the wall when I think about this. The same Solomon that saw fire come down from heaven after he prayed, the same one that built the temple for the Lord, the same one that was given the gift of wisdom as the wisest man who ever lived. And the only reason I'm emphasizing this is if the wisest man who ever lived can fall away from God so far, what does that say Can potentially happen to every single one of us if we're not careful. Amen? Amen. We need to stay humble. We need to stay broken. We need to stay desperate. And Solomon got prideful. Just think of this you know, we know the, the middle letter in sin and pride is I. Amen? And, and it's when we get filled with ourselves and we cease to be desperate for God and we start to read our own press clippings and we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to that we're in for a big fall if we're not careful. But what happened was when Babylonian captivity came, the glory of God departed from, from, the, from the temple and the temple was leveled. And so the temple is gone. and The glory of God has departed from his people. And his people are all taken away into Babylonian captivity. And for 70 years, they're under King Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and all the other kings that come along. That's when Daniel is there. And so all of that takes place because they forgot about the fire because they forgot about God's presence, because some time went by and they got so caught up in the world, they lost sight of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's exactly what has happened to our country. Amen. Amen. We used to be a country that was so founded on God. Somebody sent this to me yesterday, and I was watching it. In 1960, Billy Graham was on to tell the truth. And they're Guessing who he is. And when when they find it's Billy Graham, the whole place erupts. And then they start talking about his last crusade. And he's sharing the gospel on television. And everybody's just so so excited about it. And now when God's name is used on television, it's as a curse word not to praise him. We've gotten far away from the Lord. We lost sight of who he is as a nation. But if my people are called by my name, and that's us. We're going to see that in a few moments. So as born again believers, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The power to live a holy life, to be witnesses to a lost and a dying world does not come from physical intellect or abilities, but the empowering of the Holy Spirit upon us. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, verse two. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. You know what? I love this in 15 different ways. First of all, when God's glory is there, We don't need any priests. Can I get an amen to that? See, we don't need priests because we have the great high priest. Amen? There's only one intercessor between man and God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when the presence of God was there, the priest couldn't even be in his presence. They didn't need the priest in their interceding because Almighty God was there. And guys, we don't need to run to a man. We run directly to the Lord. Amen? Amen? Don't put your trust in men. Don't put your trust in any other intercessor. We don't don't pray to Mary. Can I get an amen to that or any of the dead saints, right? We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is no other mediator between man and God but Christ Jesus himself. They couldn't even enter into his presence. We saw this occurring Uh, First, when they put the ark in the temple and the Levites began to praise God, it said back in chapter five, just a few chapters ago, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard praising and thanking God. And when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments and music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. That then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. So the priests could not stand to minister By reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. They had to leave the temple because the glory filled the temple. Now it continues, and the priest can't get back into the temple because the glory belongs to God alone. Amen? Amen. Touch not the wine, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the glory. Right? That was Pastor Chuck's exhortation at every senior pastor's conference I went to. And we can get our eyes anything that can drag us away from the truth. And, and one of the exhortations I have, I talk to pastors a lot, and I speak at pastors' conferences, and one of the exhortations I always have is, if Satan can't dis- disqualify you, he'll do everything he can to distract you. And my prayer is, again, I'm not really worried about my legacy as much as God being glorified, but I, I pray that I'm remembered for being a faithful man of God, for, but not for the reason I got disqualified from ministry. Amen? We know people disqualified from ministry, and when you hear their name, that's all you think about. When you hear Samson, what do you think about? Delilah. Delilah. You don't think about Samson being this prophet, right? You you think Delilah. And you know what? When people fall, the enemy wins, right? And the enemy wants you to be remembered for somebody who fell, to be remembered for for the sin that disqualified you and, and kept you from being used for the kingdom of God. And Solomon is thought of the same way. And it's tragic. It's truly tragic. So they couldn't go in because the glory of God was there. And it's God's glory that we want. I don't want the praise of men or the approval of men. I just want the presence of God. Amen. I want him to fill me with his Holy Spirit and be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 3. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down. And the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised God, saying, For he is good, for his mercies endure forever. Now, when God's presence came, guess what happened? Worship. And you know what? All the Psalms were the hymn book in the Old Covenant. This is Psalm 106, verse 1. This was no doubt something they were already singing, right? It was something that they knew the words to. And when God's presence came, notice that why they have the fear of God, what what motivates them is praising the goodness of God. See, His mercy endures forever, for He is good. And when we get to heaven, holy, holy, holy Lord, God Almighty, who was and is that is to come. We're going to praise Him for His goodness. We're going to praise Him for His mercy. See, we don't have to fear God in the sense that the world does. I mean, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There's a reverence for God, but we're not afraid of God because He's our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. We have a reverence for Him, but we're not afraid of Him. We love Him. And when we see him, we're, it's going to be, you going know, have to get line behind me to hug Jesus. Amen. I'm looking forward to hugging our Savior. Can you imagine that? Right. And we're going to see him face to face and we're going to be in the presence of almighty God forever. And there's such a joy in that. And when the children saw the fire, so literally all the children of Israel, we're going to see in a minute, they came as far away as from Egypt, the outskirts of Egypt. So literally the entire land of promise, all of them came. They're all there. He's standing up. He's praying that prayer with boldness. He gets done with the prayer. He says, amen. And a fire comes down and they all see it. And I can only imagine the Whoa. Can you imagine? And everybody just falls on their face and they all just start worshiping this one, singing the praises of almighty God. They bow their faces to the ground for he is good and his mercy endures forever. We need to learn to be responding to God's presence with worship. Amen. Amen. Worship. One of the only things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven. He is worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. The next time you're struggling, I want to encourage you, worship. The next time you don't know what to do, worship. The next time you think about what God has done for you. Tim's been in my car. Some of you have been in my car. My car, I bought my car because it has a stereo that makes your ears bleed, okay? And and I love to crank Christian music and I love to just sing. And I have sometimes tomorrow I'm going to an appointment uh, out by Magic Mountain. I'll be singing to Jesus for an hour on the way there because <laughs> I just love. To me, it's my best time to worship. It's in my car by myself. I'm just worshiping Him. And you know what? When we the way to respond to the Lord is with worship. So notice they bowed themselves. Where there's Kara, they they got down on their knees. They they sank down. They kneeled before the Lord our God, our Maker. Their faces, where they were nose and face down to the ground. They worshiped, The word for worship there is Shaka, which means to bow down, to prostrate, prostrate themselves on the ground before the, the, the God, before God in worship. They praised Him. The word praise there is to give thanks, to confess the name of God. And praised him that, that he was good, where there is good and pleasant and agreeable. And they thanked him for his mercy, that where there is kindness and faithfulness, and again forever, long duration. You know, aren't you glad to know that God has already forgiven you for everything? you, Not only what you've ever done, but anything you will ever do. That's our God. Amen? And the enemy will condemn you. The enemy will come after you. There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So the people of God respond to God's fire by bowing in worship and their words reflect the words that the Levites had sung at the beginning of the dedication back in chapter five, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Look at verse four and five. So point number one, there was the glory of the Lord. Fire came from heaven. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. The power is only in the presence of God and responding to God's presence with a heart of worship. Point number two, praise and sacrifice. They are two sides of the same coin. We praise him, but we also, again, in those days, they were making sacrifices to him. And for us, it's the cross of Calvary. See, the cross of Calvary, has shed blood upon the cross and praise are two sides of the same coin. Without accepting what he's done on the cross, without his redeeming work for us, without the shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And then the response to truly being saved is a heart to praise him. Amen. It says there in verse four. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls. Try counting to twenty-two thousand and see how long that takes you. And twenty-two thousand bulls that reminds me of I-5. You ever driven on I-5 when you get up to where all the cattle is, and, you, and 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 there's no there's no avoiding the smell. If you've been up there, you know what I'm talking about, right? But you see, look at these twenty-two thousand bulls. How long does it take to sacrifice twenty-two thousand bulls? We're gonna see in a moment that he has to make a separate place for sacrifices along with a bronze altar because they have so many animals it would have taken forever. But not only 22,000 bulls, but notice what it says, and 120,000 sheep. have got 142,000 sacrifices. Why in the world would they sacrifice so much? I'll tell you why. Because they were so in awe of the presence of God. And it was an act of worship to them that came along with their praise came sacrifice. See the shedding of blood and recognizing again, that he is the ultimate sacrifice. They didn't fully grasp that yet, but they knew they were called to make both burnt offerings and peace offerings. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he offers all these animals as sacrifices, and with these being peace offering, the idea here is of a huge feast. So a burnt offering is where you would burn the entire animal. So it was, it was a picture of consecrating everything to the Lord. A peace offering was where the priests would make the sacrifice and give the best parts to God and burn them up, but then they would take a portion and give it back to the person who offered the sacrifice. And then they basically, what they were doing in a sense is they were having intimate fellowship with God by enjoying a meal together where God took part of it and then gave them back a portion. Now, in the Middle East, especially in those days and even to today, when you sit down and eat with somebody, And a lot of times you've got a a common piece of bread. You're tearing a piece off of this piece of bread or or whatever it is, right? And then you're dipping it in, then you're eating it. And the way they look at it is you're eating the same bread that you've both touched with your hands. And in a way, it's almost like you've entered in because the same bread that's in me is the same bread that's in you. And it's an act of fellowship. And for them, when they would have a peace offering, it was God was taking part of it. And they were taking part of it. And it was like entering into intimate fellowship with God. So when they made these peace offerings, it was intimacy with Almighty God. So they had burnt offerings where they gave God everything. And then they had these peace offerings again, which was a picture of intimate fellowship with Almighty God. The same God that had just brought fire down from heaven. Then it says in verse 5, and they dedicated, again, the bulls and the goats. It says, so the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Verse 6, and the priests attended to their services, the Levites, also with instruments of music to the Lord, which David had made to praise the Lord, saying, For his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, the priests sounded trumpets opposite them, while all Israel Israel stood. So when they would worship, they would stand and they would play musical instruments. Does that sound familiar? They would come to their feet as an act of reverence to God, and they would play musical instruments, and in unison they would worship the Lord together. And notice some of the priests, some of the Levites, again some were focused only on sacrifices, some were focused on the care of the temple and the furnishings, but others were there to lead people into worship. What a beautiful picture that is, and it's truly a picture of what heaven will be like one day. Then it says there uh verse 7 furthermore solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the lord for they there he offered burnt offerings the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar which solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings the grain offerings and the fat so here's what happened was there were so many sacrifices that the bronze altar could only fit one animal at a time so out in the outer court he brings in a a larger place for them just to make constant sacrifices as they're sacrificing 142,000 animals. Then it says there in verse 8, at the time Solomon kept the feast seven days and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. So this shows you that the people gathered from far and wide They had all come there for the Feast of Tabernacles, looking back to the deliverance out of bondage in Egypt and God's provision. During the Feast of Tabernacles, what they would do, those who lived there would leave their home and pitch tents. So they basically went camping to remember what it was like for those who camped in the wilderness for 40 years. And others would come from far away, and they too would pitch their tents, and they would remember God's presence. Then it says there in verse 9, And on the eighth day... They held a sacred assembly for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast for seven days. So here's what ended up happening. They were coming for a seven day feast of tabernacles. And when the the glory of God fell and when the temple was dedicated, it went from seven days to 14 days. And I have an idea that nobody wanted to go home. So if the glory of God is here, I'm staying. How about you? Amen. Amen. If the fire falls from heaven, I have my appointments for tomorrow are canceled. Amen. And that's what happened. The people stayed. And with all that food that they had and all the peace offerings that they had, the people stayed and they worshiped. And no doubt they were all talking about the fire coming down from heaven and the beauty of the temple. And it's been dedicated and being in God's presence. In a way, it was probably a small glimpse of heaven for these people. Right. They're seeing just the glory of God, the presence of God. It's so amazing. And so for 14 days, they just hang out and they fellowship and they worship. People gathered to remember God's blessing of provision of their ancestors. And now they're spending seven days as the dedication of the temple, just praising God and worshiping his name and thankful that they were there to see all that God was doing. Verse 10 On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for the God, for the good that the Lord had done for David and for Solomon and for his people. So after 14 days, they had to be sent home. And the one thing that I want us to focus on here as an application is, yeah, we're in God's presence and we love being there, but there's still a time we have to go back out into the world and minister to the world. Amen. There's still, we still have a calling and gifting upon our life. And while we would love to just stay in that place, there's a time when God says, look, you're still, you still have gifts. You still need to be used. And again, there's a day coming when we'll never have to say goodbye to, you know, amen. We'll be in his presence forevermore. but that day hasn't come yet. Now, it says that they were glad and merry in heart for the goodness of the Lord. The word glad there is joyful. The word merry there is pleasant or agreeable for the goodness of the Lord. You know, the joy of the Lord, I think in a way we ought to experience a little every time we get together to enjoy the Lord. We ought to leave church every time we go to church with the joy of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy. Amen. As believers, we should have joy because joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with gas prices or who's in the White House or the price of groceries or whatever struggle we may be going through in life. It has nothing to do with the physical ailments we struggle with. All those things, see, those are temporary circumstances. And the only happiness is only when all your circumstances are perfect. And that's why you are not happy very often. Amen. But the joy of the Lord has nothing to do with our circumstances. Look at the apostles, right? Every one of them martyred, right? Except for, well, John, they tried to martyr him and he just wouldn't die because God wasn't done with him yet, right? But the point is they were all martyred, but they all had joy. Um, um, uh, Richard wormbrand I mentioned him once before, Uh, He was the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. He came to the church. that My dad pastored in Santa Cruz twice when I was in high school. He came over to our house for dinner. And he was a man that was tortured for his faith. And he actually was in a prison cell in the shape of an L, so he could not lie down or stand up. And I hate to be graphic, but he was in his own feces and just uh, what a mess. And it was pitch black. He couldn't see. And this went on for years. And you know that he had chains. Even though he was in a, their cell, they would chain his arms. And so you know what he did? There were other guys in chains, and they would clang their chains to make music and sing praise songs. Now, that's the joy of the Lord. Amen? We have a hard time singing praise songs when it's too cold outside. Amen? We have a hard time when, right? I mean, we, we can be so conditional. And, and again, the joy of the Lord comes from who we are in Christ. And that doesn't change no matter what happens in the world around us. Amen? We continue to have joy because God is faithful and we should praise Him no matter what. After their incredible time of worship and feasting in the presence of Almighty God, they eventually had to return home to their families, to their jobs, to their daily lives, and hope would be that their time in His presence would change them and would never be forgotten. See, the problem that we all can have as believers is when we go home, we get so caught up in everyday life. And before you know it, we lose that joy. And before you know it, if we're not careful, we're too busy. Now don't raise your hand, but how many of you are speaking, it's only January, what today? Fifth? Only five days into the Bible reading plan. It shouldn't have been that hard. How we doing? (laughs) Only you and God know. My wife and I are doing it together. I'm I'm ahead a few days. I like to stay ahead. We're going through Genesis. It's good stuff. I want to encourage you, again, spend time in God's Word. But it wasn't long before many of these very same people that saw the fire fall from the sky were worshiping idols. And you think, how is this even possible? But how about for us? They didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. We do. We're more accountable than them. They got a glimpse of a fire from a distance. It was an awesome moment. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And yet we continue to sin. Amen? Amen. But my prayer is that again we never lose sight of not only of not only who we are, but whose we are. Amen. Our Christian walk needs to go beyond just momentary mountaintop experiences to daily intimate fellowship with God. Verse 11. And it says, and Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make the house of the Lord in his own house. Now what's amazing? And his own house. You know what? He built his own palace. He's finished the temple. He was being faithful to the things that he was called to do. And you know what? If that's the last we saw of Solomon, we would say, what an amazing guy this guy is. Sadly, this is not where it ends. He's going to have some, a few more good things, and then we're going to see a slippery slope. And that, take heed lest ye fall, because we can all fall into the same trap. So point number two there, if my people are called by, by name, praise and sacrifice. Both needed to show the depths of a heart of worship and thanksgiving for the Lord, all the Lord has done for us. Burnt sacrifices, giving him everything we have, peace offerings, intimate fellowship with the Lord. And that leads to a life filled with joy that only can come from the Lord. Now, point number three, God answers prayer. Now, we've already seen his response to the prayer, but now we're going to see God appearing to Solomon for the second time. So Solomon prays once before God appeared to Solomon and now he's going to appear to him a second time. And the reason he is going to appear to him a second time because he wants to remind him to stay on the path because it's so easy when you're all all you're fully consumed with is building the temple. Now the temple's been built and it'll be very easy to get distracted. And so God's going to come to Solomon and exhort and encourage him says there, then the Lord appeared to Solomon, verse 12, by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, can you imagine if you've spent seven years building the temple and your father had spent decades gathering all the materials. Now the temple is built and then God responds to you and says, I'm going to make this my house. This is where my presence is going to dwell. What a joyful moment for Solomon. The Lord shows up and tells him directly again that this is where I am going to dwell. Brethren, we want renewed appearances, fresh manifestations, new visitations from on high. This is from Spurgeon. And I commend to those of you who are getting on in life that while you thank God for the past, Look back with joy to his visits to you in the early days. You now should seek a second visitation from the Lord. What he's saying is, look, Solomon could have just looked back to that time that he met with the Lord and lived on that for the rest of his life. We should never be satisfied with what God has done in the past. Amen. We should desire to see God do even more in the future. My wife and I say this to all the time. And every time I write her a card when I wrote her uh anniversary card on Sunday. We always finish it with the best is yet to come. And I will tell you, we've been doing that for 38 years, and it's a little hard right now with the loss of our son. It's hard to imagine life being better without him than it was with him. It's difficult. But at the same time, God is good. And and you know what? I could look back. I mean, God did incredible things in Santa Cruz. God took a handful of people and, and made a Church of Twelve Hundred. God blessed it. We planted churches out of it, and God did incredible things. And you can look back and say, Well, that was the. Those were the best days. Or when I was a youth pastor for 15 years and all these teenagers getting sick. And so whatever that is, we can all look back at something and say, well, those were the good old days. Well, the good days are the days that we're walking with the Lord. And that should be today. Can I get an amen to that? And that God is not done and God is still at work and he's a great and an awesome God and we get to serve him and what a blessing it is. And he comes to Solomon again. Hey, Solomon, I'm not done with you. Yeah, you built the temple. You might feel like you're finished. I want you to know I'm going to dwell here. And God appears again to Solomon. And you know what? I want to get a fresh message from the Lord. I want to have him, I want to see him again and again and have intimate fellowship with the Lord. If we rest on where we were with God in the past or how he used us in the past, we will miss out on intimate fellowship with God in the here and now. Verse 12, again, he says there, I have heard your prayer. Solomon's prayer meant nothing and would accomplish nothing if God did not hear it. I don't care how many times you pray. If God doesn't hear it, it means nothing. The Bible says not to pray with vain repetition. And you'll have people pray the the model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come the They'll pray, you know, hell, Mary, mother, stop it. Or they'll pray, you know, our fathers. All these things that they'll pray with vain repetition. And we don't pray with vain repetition. Amen? We don't just go blah, 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 God. Amen? You know when your kid says, can I honk, can I honk, can I honk, can I? Does that make you want to give it to them or, or give it to him? We gotta get an amen to that. Amen. You know? And we don't come to God like that. We come to God and we sit on his lap and we say, Dad, Abba, Almighty God, I love you. I'm so thankful. I'm so blessed to be your son. It's opted into your family. I can't believe that I get to know the King of Kings. I'm so blessed that your Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Lord, I just want you to use me for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. You know, coming to God that way and just speaking from your heart. Amen. We don't need to be, you know, elegant to, to pray. Matter of fact, elegant prayers almost make me want to puke sometimes. You know, oh, well, there's glory. Oh, there's glory. Stop it. Guy, you know, do you talk to your dad that way? Can I get an amen to that? So there's that intimate fellowship with God, and God says, I heard your prayer. And I want you to know if you're a born again Christian, God hears your prayer every single time. Amen? amen. Now, you'll meet people that you'll tell them that don't know the Lord, you should pray about that. And they come back, Well, I prayed about it, nothing happened. Well, you know why? Because it didn't go anywhere, because you don't know Jesus. But there's a prayer you can pray right now to give your life to the Lord, and then you can have fellowship with Him. Amen? And so it's not just prayer. It's praying to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the prayer that God always hears. Now, He may not answer you with fire from heaven in five minutes. Amen? Sometimes He makes you wait. But He does answer prayer. And sometimes He says no. But when he says no, we need to praise him because he's smarter than us and he knows what's best for us. Amen? Amen? And we want, Lord, be thy will, not my will, but thy will be done. And like I mentioned with the Buffalo Bills, literally millions of people no doubt have prayed for that young man. And do you know he's getting better, by the way? They mentioned tonight that he's writing notes. First note he wrote was, Who won? <laughs> what a football player. Who won? <laughs> But, you know, people are praying, and I'm glad that people are praying, but not, God's not hearing everyone's prayers. Amen? God hears the prayers of those who know him. I heard your prayer. The great prayer of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8 meant nothing unless God heard his prayer, and the same is true for this prayer here. And again, I've chosen this place for myself as the house of sacrifice. The building was Solomon's work. It was done in the power and the inspiration of the Lord. The consecration of the building was God's work. And Solomon could build a building, but it only could hallow it. Only God could hallow it with his presence. So it doesn't matter how beautiful the building is. If God's presence isn't there, it's just a building. And again, Pastor Chuck used to say that movements become memorials and their buildings become monuments to what once was as soon as the Holy Spirit, as soon as God is not the center of it. Amen. And that's what happened. You see it all over. When I was in England and Scotland and even in Russia, you walk into these beautiful buildings and nobody's there and nobody's worshiping and God's presence isn't there. And you know what? It's God's presence that makes it uh, again, the place where God dwells. Solomon has asked God would, would, was, had asked that God would honor his building that they are dedicating, and God answers his prayer. Now, I want to say again, don't assume, and by the way, when we pray, we should pray with humility. Amen? Amen. When I hear people pray, and they demand God, and they tell God, and they, you know, I demanded you, and I called you out, and you, whoa. Whoa. You're an idiot. God's not. Amen. And so we don't command God. We don't we don't yell at God. We don't tell God. And I've had people tell me that I lack faith because I won't just tell God what to do. No, I said I don't lack faith. I lack intelligence to tell God what to do. Amen. And so we want to come humbly before him. And he said, I heard your prayer. Man, that just blesses his heart. And I want you to know that this is the house of sacrifice. There's a place for for myself will be a house of sacrifice. Then he says, when I put up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. So look, God will bless them. But when they turn away from God, God will do what is necessary to get their attention. So there might be no rain or it might be locusts, or it might be pestilence of some kind. By the way, locusts, I looked this up. Do you know locusts is about as bad as it gets? Like there can be locusts that come in where there's more locusts than there are sands on the seashore, and they come into something that looks like the Garden of Eden, and in a few hours, it's desolate. And, the, and there's nothing you can really do to stop them, right? They just, they might, they just destroy everything in their path. So he says, look, if, if, if you're outside of my will, if you walk away from me, if I, if I stop the rain to get your attention, if I bring locusts or pestilence upon you to get your attention, here's how you should respond. Here's that verse that we all should know by heart. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear for heaven from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. So if God is getting our attention because we've walked away from the Lord, the way that we need to respond is to cry out to Him. We need to humble ourselves and pray and come before Almighty God. Now notice He says, if my people. Now certainly the primary application of that verse is the children of Israel. If my people, the children of Israel, will humble themselves and cry out to me, then I will heal their land. I will hear their prayers, and I will bring restoration. But notice, there needed also to be repentance. See, if we pray, but there's no change in behavior, don't expect God... So look, how many, when you sin, we always... I I say, I'm sorry before the word's out. Can I get an amen to that? Right? The closer you get to God, you say something, you should have said, oh, uh, that wasn't very nice, and the Holy Spirit head-slapping, and you're asking God to forgive you. But if I keep saying it, that's not repentance. Amen? Repentance is, I was doing this and I'm so convicted that I'm running in the opposite direction. That I'm willing to burn the ships and remove the thing that causes me to be enticed, whatever that is. I remember that movie, uh, Fireproof, remember? Where... Kurt Cameron, the guy who's playing, is struggling with pornography and he gets right with the Lord. He takes his computer out in his driveway and beats it to death with a baseball bat. That's called repentance. Can I get an amen to that? It's where you it's where you do what is necessary to remove that sinful thing. And he's telling them, look, if I'm bringing heavy duty judgment upon you because you walked away from me, yes, you need to cry out to me. You need to pray. You need to humble yourself. But you also need to repent. And it's more than just saying I'm sorry to God. It's changing that behavior. One of the things I love to ask people that are struggling with the same thing over and over, and look, we've all done it, right? There's certain things that we may struggle with, whatever that is. But what it really comes down to, what do you love more, your sin or God? Which is it? Which one's the priority, right? And so it's like, look, if you love your sin so much, then that that has become your God. If you won't repent, if you won't turn away from it. And again, I don't want to, you know, I want you to know that our God is, is, is faithful and just to forgive us when we ask him to. But there needs to be repentance. And so he's telling them, you know, that while we're frustrated with the evil that may surround us, what should we do? Pray. So again, while the primary pers- people it speaks of is Israel, I also believe that it can, it can apply to all believers in a different way. Now, we once were, and some would argue with this, but we once were a Christian nation. We were founded on that, and I believe that. Some don't, but I do. But we've gotten so far away from that. There's this guy on TikTok I love to watch, and here's what he does. He'll walk through like Walmart, and he'll walk up with a $100 bill, and they go, I'll give you $100. Tell me a Bible verse. And he'll talk to 20 people, and nobody can give him a Bible verse. And you know what it makes you realize? How far away our country's gotten from the Lord. Amen? you don't even know Jesus wept? Help me out here. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, you don't know anything? You don't know John 3:16? Right? And he goes to this place and you just watch this thing and what it does. He'll go up to people. Now, this is even more amazing. They're pumping gas. He goes, I'll pay for your tank of gas. Tell me one name of one book in the Bible. I don't know. And you're like, wow, guys. Sometimes as Christians, we, you know, we're so close to the Lord often that, that we don't know how far away the rest of the world really is. Amen. And you know what? They need to hear about Jesus. And, they, and so his exhortation here is, look, the world around us is lost and, and we, we need to pray. We shouldn't expect the world to pray because they don't know God. Amen. And we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. So he says, if we want to see our land healed, if my people who are called by my name need to pray. But we not only need to pray, we need to repent. Amen? Amen. We need to pray, we need to humble ourselves, and we need to turn away. Look, if we want to see God bring revival, it's got to start in our hearts first. If we want to see our marriages better, we need to repent. If we want to see our walk closer to the Lord, we need to repent. Amen? Amen? And if we, why, if we don't repent and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, how are we going to uh, impact an unrepentant world that doesn't even know God? Amen? Yeah. And so the command to pray is on us, those who are called by His name. And we don't live in a theocracy like they did in Israel, where God was on the throne and He had appointed kings. But we do live in a land where God can still do incredible things. So we need to be humble, humble and reverent, and God-centered in our prayer, not arrogant, not demanding. We need to come in humility before Almighty God. Humility is key to growing as a Christian. Peter wrote this, yea, all who are subject to one another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you In due time. If you are filled with pride, you will find God fighting against you. If you're learning humility, you will find God giving grace to you. F. B. Meyer said this: "I used to think that God's gifts were on the shelves, uh, one above another, and the taller we grew in Christian character, the easier we could reach them. I now find the gifts of God are on the shelves, one beneath another." And it's not a question of growing taller, but stooping lower that we have to go down and always down to get the best gifts. You know, it's when we humble ourselves. But notice it says not only humble ourselves and pray. Daniel, the prophet understood this in the first year of the reign of of, uh, the first year of his reign, uh, Daniel understood by the book of numbers when God would bring uh, restoration and bring them back into the land. And he started praying for it. So he knew what to pray for because he knew what the Bible said. And you know how we know what to pray for? By knowing what the Bible says. Amen. There are things we can pray with confidence. Lord, give me an opportunity tomorrow to share my faith with somebody and to fulfill the Great Commission. Did he call us to do that? What's the answer? So when we pray for it, can't we pray that with conviction? Why? Because we know God wants us to do that. Amen. But when we pray for things contrary to the word of God, we shouldn't be surprised when God says no. Amen. And then it says not only pray, but he says there uh, and turn from their wicked ways. This is where we have repentance. The great promise of answer prayer in Second Chronicles also includes a condition of repentance. And if we repent, he says, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin And heal their land. God simply promises to hear the prayer of his humble, prayerful, seeking, and repentant people, and he will bring forgiveness to his people and healing to their land when they come repentant, when they come humbly before him. Now, my eyes will open, verse 15, my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. He's letting them know that the prayer that was made in the temple, that he would hear their prayers. We know this because that's how Daniel even prayed. When Daniel was in Babylonian captivity, he would always open his door in the temple was gone. But he would still open his windows and look toward Jerusalem and pray. And you know what? Jews still do that to this day. And if you go to Israel, there's a wailing wall. You've heard of that. And the wailing wall is just a wall that is closest to where the Holy of Holies used to be 2,000 years ago. And they think if they get close to that wall closer to where the ark of the covenant was that somehow they'd be closer to god but see it's not the ark it was the presence of god that mattered amen and that's why whenever we go there the tour guides always say well do you want to go pray at the wailing wall no and if you, if you want to do that god bless you but i'm like no why do i need to do that because we have the holy spirit living inside of us amen we don't need to get close to a wall throw at the wall doing this and you're like, hey, we don't need to do that. We we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But he says, my eyes are open. I, I'm gonna hear you when you pray in this place. And again, now that place is the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We don't need to pray toward Jerusalem. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen? Verse 16, for now I have chosen and sanctified this house and my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now you read that and you go forever, but wait a minute, the temple has been destroyed twice and there's no temple there right now. Well, we have the new covenant, amen? amen? And now we have a relationship with the Lord and the temple would have remained if its people had been faithful, but because they were not, it was destroyed. So verse 18, you know, verse 17, as for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, final point, it says here, it says God answers prayer, but right here, we're going to start seeing him giving a warning to Solomon. Here's what he says. If you walk before me as your father David walked and do according to all that I've commanded you, and if you keep my commandments and my judgment, then I will establish your throne of your kingdom as I Covenanted with David your father, saying you shall not fall to have a man as ruler or fail to have a man as ruler over Israel. He says, if you will be faithful like your dad, then your ancestors will all be the rulers over Israel forever. So if you're faithful, then I will bless you. And we see that throughout Scripture. If we're faithful, then God will bless us. Now, some blessings are unconditional, but some blessings are conditioned on our obedience. Again, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves. That's an if. Then I will heal their land, right? So we have a responsibility of obedience and prayer and humility, and then God will respond. And so that's what he's telling Solomon. If you will be faithful, if you will be like your father David, then I will continue to bless you and the generations that come after you. So final point here, God's warning to remain faithful to his word. Look at verse 17. As for you, if you walk before me as your father walked, right? And then down to verse 19, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will uproot them from my land which I have given them, and this house which I have sanctified for my name, and I will cast it out of my sight, and will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Does he warn him of the very thing he's going to do? He tells him, if you start worshiping idols, I'm going to tear this place down. I'm going to take it from the ground. I'm going to remove it. The generations behind you will not rule. He tells him exactly the very sin that he's going to fall for, and he warns him beforehand. But how many of us have been knuckleheads enough that God's warned us, and we did it anyway? Amen? That, that, you know, the Holy Spirit's convicting you before you do it, and you run through the stop sign. Amen? But he warns... Solomon, this guy's supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived that just proves we're all idiots. Amen? Amen? But if you walk according to, but now because you're, if you disobey, he's the wisest man on earth. God is telling him some pretty serious things, yet Solomon will blow it. And if Solomon can fall, so can you and I. Amen? Amen. Then he says in verse 21 and 22, as we finish, ask for this house which is exalted. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? He even tells them that, look, if you turn away from me and you start worshiping false idols, I'm going to level this place. And every time somebody walks by it and they see the debris that's left from this beautiful temple, they're going to say, what in the world happened? And it's going to be a proverb to say, well, they started worshiping false idols and God leveled it. And you know what? We don't want to be that proverb. Proverb. What happened to pastor so-and-so? Oh, he committed adultery or he stole money from the church or whatever, right? And you see these guys fall all the time. What happened to that Christian guy down the block that used to talk to us about Jesus? Oh, he and his wife got divorced because he was cheating on his wife and he left or whatever, right? And we don't want, we don't want to have that tied to our name, Amen. We want to be remembered. Again, I mean, it doesn't really matter about being remembered in a sense, but we want to live a life that brings glory and honor to His name, not causes other people to stumble. Amen? Amen. Are there a lot of Christians whose behavior causes people to stumble? What's the answer? Yes. All the more reason we need to be somebody that doesn't. Amen? We, we need to be people who live. And again, not that we're sinless, but we should sin less. And, and again, the greatest thing you can do if you stumble is quickly be a person who repents, but also goes and tells anybody they've sinned against and asks for forgiveness because that's an opportunity for God to be glorified. Amen? And then final verse he says, then they will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. And therefore he's brought all this calamity on them. Man, the Lord spells it out for Solomon. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And Solomon did it anyway. And that's exactly what happened. And here's the sad part. This is the heartbreaking part as we close. There are so many people that have been warned about hell. Amen. And they're warned and they're told hell's a real place. You're going to spend eternity separated from almighty God. And I promise you, every single person who is in hell right now wishes they had another opportunity to give their life to Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? The rich man, go and tell my family. And guys, it will be too late soon, but it's not too late now to tell people about Jesus. Amen? So in closing, if my people are called by my name, first of all, we see the glory of the Lord. The fire came down from heaven. The glory of the Lord fills the temple. The power is in the presence of God, responding to God's presence with a heart of worship. Then we saw the praise and sacrifice go hand in hand. Both are needed for the heart of worship, but also thanksgiving for Jesus' death on the cross. We saw burnt offerings. where We surrendered all to the Lord, but that fellowship offering, that peace offering that represents fellowship with the Lord. And then God answers prayer. He hears our prayer. Sometimes He use difficult times to bring us back to him. If we're to pray correctly, we need to humble ourselves and seek his face and turn from our sins. And true repentance requires more than just words. And then finally, God's warning to remain faithful to his word. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The way the transgressor is hard. Just ask Solomon or Samson. And even this wisest man who ever lived can fall into temptation. So we all need to be forewarned. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word that's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, I pray that I know as I've been studying this for many hours, I've been convicted. Just Lord, praying for revival in my own life. Begin in my heart first. Help us to be have our face to the ground, help us to be humble, help us to turn away from our sin and to truly repent if there be in any area where we're struggling. And Lord, we pray for revival that may begin again with us and begin in our fellowship. And we pray for the Canale Valley and we pray for California and we pray for United States and we pray for the world. And Lord, we want to see revival, we want to see lives change. we want to see your name lifted up. And Lord, I pray that when you come back, you find us busy about your work. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...